morning, everybody. This is Joe Y. Rostick going to do my final SUM chapel on the book of Romans. You won't uh, hear from me for SUM until uh, next school year starts sometime in August. So I promised the students that I would end out this school year uh, completing what I had started with the book of Romans. And so now we're going to go through chapter 16 today. Going to open up in prayer here in just a moment. And uh, if you can join me and uh, want to stay on the chat with me, please go ahead and do so. Otherwise, uh, check this out on our podcast, which we have on our app and through iTunes. So hopefully that can be beneficial to you as well. If you want to shout out after I uh, get done praying here, put out your name uh, and I will give you a shout out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Romans, which has been very inspirational to us, teaching us and bringing transformation to our lives. We pray that uh, we will now hear what Paul wrote via the Holy Spirit in this last chapter, greeting the fellow workers, his fellow workers and disciples, and giving us the instructions on how we can be as Christians in the church, living at peace and being full of the grace that you give us through Jesus Christ. May we be encouraged by this last chapter. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So are you ready to get into chapter 16? Let's go for it. So Paul is going to end now Romans 16 by giving greetings to the people that he is working with in the gospel. He starts off by mentioning this dear sister named Phoebe. He says in chapter 16, verse 1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centuria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. As you notice, I'm going through my notes today, so you can see the extra scriptures that I have referenced in there, as well as the links. I have a link to Phoebe and how I, how I use her to defend women in the ministry. Now, notice she is a deacon. She is a leader. So the arguments that people would make against women in the ministry by saying that uh, an elder or a deacon has to be married to a wife, therefore women cannot be deacons, that is incorrect. Here a woman is being labeled as a deacon. And one of my arguments is if a woman can be a deacon where uh, in the book of Acts, they're all men, and as well as in 1 Timothy chapter 3, it's looked at as men. If we can see women as deacons, then that means we could see uh, women as elders. So the idea of them just being masculine when they're mentioned in Acts chapter 6 and masculine in 1 Timothy chapter 3 does not mean they cannot uh, be females at some point. So deacons, yes, were primarily masculine in the book of Acts, primarily masculine in the description of 1 Timothy chapter 3. But here, by the time we get to um, Romans, at, at the end of the book here, a female deacon is being mentioned. Also, I want to remind you that Paul uses the word minister, deacon, servant more than any other title 
for co-laborers with Christ. Uh, he is seen ordaining elders in the book of Acts and as well in other books in Titus and in Timothy, but uh, he never really names off who is an elder by name, but he names minister, servants, deacons all the time. And those really are synonymous terms. He even calls himself a servant, a minister. And so in that way, we should understand that Paul really looked at the office of deacon as a high a, a place of authority in the church, though they were uh, servants among God's people. And so it is to be taken very serious that this woman, praise God, is given such a title. Now, what's interesting about this is that everybody else uh, here he's going to greet is in Rome. But here he's starting off by saying, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who seems to be coming to Rome. And a lot of uh, different things you can get from that is what is her role going to be? Well, when you go through commentaries, they have different opinions on this. My, maybe she was bringing the letter to them. And so she was the one carrying the letter. That could be a part of this. Also, what could be a part of this is that she is going to start setting in order the church in Paul's way of doing things because they did not have an apostle. Paul generally would only preach to those who did not have leadership and would win them to the Lord and be their first apostle. But Rome was such a unique uh, city and church that it didn't have any really legitimate oversight. And so Phoebe now bringing this letter potentially could be the one that could start providing the oversight with the instructions from other epistles on how to start setting up elders and deacons and so forth. And we'll learn about some other of Paul's co-laborers that were there probably doing that very same thing. Uh, it also goes on to say that they are to receive her in a manner that's worthy of God's people. And so she is to be held in the highest regard and that she will give her help in, uh, and that she, to give her any help that she may need. That means they were then to serve this servant. So a servant lead, uh, uh, Phoebe rather, is going to be a servant leader and they are to serve her her. And then it, it ends by saying that she has been a benefactor to many people, including Paul. Um, people have discussed what does that really mean that she was a benefactor? Does that mean that does that mean that she just helped Paul or gave financially to Paul? Or was she in fact uh, a teacher to Paul? Maybe at some point she started to instruct Paul on certain things in the church because we know Paul uh, came into the faith later than a lot of the people who had been around even during the time of Jesus and during the time of the first uh, churches being established. And so he was a persecutor of the church. Uh, Phoebe, in fact, might have been a early disciple of Jesus. She might have met Jesus on one of his travels or traveled with him. And so she may have taught him and benefited him in that way. Well, that's that would have been awesome if that's true, but we don't really know. So there's a lot packed in there that we don't know for sure. But some of the things we do know for sure is that she was a woman leader in the church. She was to be really honored and respected. She was to be served and she was um, a benefactor to Paul. What an honor and a privilege to see that mentioned there. And then the highlight that I have is a debate that I had with a person that doesn't believe in women ministry. So if you click on Phoebe, you can listen to that debate and you can see how I use Phoebe as one of my uh, examples of women in leadership. And then what's cool is the uh, next one that I use is right here in this passage, verse three. I use uh, uh, 
uh, Priscilla and Aquila, and I also use Andronicus and Junia. So they are two married couples that served as a team in the gospel, and they were leaders. And I talk about how husband and wives can be co-leaders in the church. And so let's keep going to verse 3 now as he starts to recognize people there in the church of Rome. It says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. Now notice, there's no difference between the man being a co-worker and the woman. She's just off to the side. No, both Priscilla and Aquila, Priscilla being the female, Aquila being the man, uh, both are considered his co-workers. So that means if they're co-workers with Paul, then that must mean they're co-workers with themselves in the marriage, right? So isn't that another example of being co-workers, co-laborers? So sometimes people get... Um, a little bit sassy when they see a pastor and his wife be co-pastors. Oh, that's not biblical. That's not biblical. Well, it seems pretty biblical right here that Priscilla and Aquila were co-workers, both on the same level with Paul. Therefore, if they were both, let's say, co-sergeants with Paul, then that would mean Priscilla's just as much of a sergeant as Aquila is, right? So they are co-workers in Christ Jesus. And you can learn about them in Acts chapter 18, verse 2, and how they helped together, plural, how they helped Apollos come to better know the things of God. Matter of fact, let's let's go to that, right? Let's go to Acts 18, 2. And because they had traveled out of Rome, and that's how they had met Paul in um, Corinth, because they had to leave Rome because of a persecution of the Jews. And then they're now, they must have traveled back to be in Rome, basically going back to where they had come from. Let's look at um, Acts 18.1. It says, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla. Excuse me, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. So they were tent makers. And then it goes on to say that he reasoned in their um, synagogues there. Okay, now as it begins to say that they leave, um, let's get here to... Uh, verse 18, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for uh, Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. So he took them with him. Okay, so that's kind of a little bit of their travels. And then it says, after spending some time, this is chapter 18, verse 23, after Paul spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia, Pergia, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scripture. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurate, though he only knew of the baptism of John. Now, watch this. Verse 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they, notice the plural here, because they are co-workers with Paul in the work of the gospel. They invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. So isn't that beautiful to see that they 
taught a man named Apollos the things of God more adequately. So, so much for uh, just Paul restricting women um, uh, for all times and all places because of what he said in, in Timothy and, you know, in other places that he won't allow a woman to have authority over a man. Well, so much for thinking that applies to all times and places because here we see now the husband and wife together being co-workers, working with Paul, and then together as co-workers teaching, both of them teaching Apollos the ways of God. Isn't this wonderful? So I wish that I could see or hear some amens from the women that are here today. And uh, what's going on, Jose? Glad that you're listening with your daughter because now she can be encouraged by these mighty women. She can be encouraged by Phoebe. She can be encouraged by Priscilla. And then here in just a moment, Junia. So once again, in verse 3 of Romans here, verse six, uh, chapter 16, it says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me, not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Notice the plural there again. And then now he switches over to some of these other people that we're going to learn about. Now, what I'm going to do is play their name um, in the Bible software so I don't mess up some of these names that I'm not so good with. So let's go to this brother right here. Let's hear his name. Apenitos. Apenitos. Greet my friend Apenitos, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. So somewhere around uh, Ephesus, uh, probably this man gave his heart to the Lord, and he is known now as the first convert. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. And notice, just as much male and female recognition going on here. Now, Mary was a popular name. We don't know exactly who she is. Could it be... Um, one of the Marys we heard about in the Bible. We don't know. He doesn't go into more depth. Probably not one we would hear about in the Gospels because she's not given any other kind of description where that would seem to be customary to give that kind of a description if, if she was already mentioned prior in other scriptures, especially as a, a follower of Jesus. Now we get to these uh, next this next couple here who I really like. Greet Andrew Nikus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Wow, isn't that awesome to hear that they were outstanding apostles, and they were even apostles before Paul. But hold on, if you notice, I have highlighted Junia's name, the wife's name. Why is that? Because in church history, she caused so much confusion as people tried to limit the role of women in the ministry, they didn't like that she was a woman that was outstanding among the apostles. So I give you the research through Wikipedia, which confirms with the uh, majority of the commentaries that I have studied. So you can, you can use that as a resource. You can see the conflict that she actually caused. Uh, first of all, they tried to change her name from Junia to Junius to make these two men. And why would that be? Because it's clear that they're both apostles. Both of them are apostles, not just one, not just Andronicus, who they know is a man, but Junia is also an apostle. So they said, oh, we, we can't do that. Origen said we can't do that in, in the early church. We've got to change him to Junius to make him a man. Well, the problem with that is nobody was even known to be a man with that name at that time. 
That would be like trying to change a woman's name now into a man's name. And it would just sound ridiculous to us if we knew that uh, we didn't know anybody with that kind of a name. So I was trying to think of examples of this yesterday. Uh, so let's say um, there's a woman's name in our culture like Margaret. But we don't like that Margaret has authority like a man does. So we want to change Margaret's name to a man's name. So we would say like Margrito. Margrito is the name, not Margaret. Margrito. Mar Margrito sounds more like a man's name now. And everybody, you know, it would say like in this culture, we don't know a dude, a man by the name of Margrito. Uh, we do know Margaret's. As a matter of fact, Margaret's a popular name, so forth and so on. And so in early church history, they tried to change her name to a man's name to get out of that phrase, outstanding among the apostles. Well, once they realized they couldn't get away with that, thank God he preserved his scriptures. It's Andrew Nicus and Junia. It's a husband and wife, just like Priscilla and Aquila up there uh, in the verses prior. Then, even to this day, modern scholars try to debate over what this phrase means, outstanding among the apostles. And even some good Baptist leaders like Daniel Wallace, who's worked on the translation of the NET, has tried to say, you know, what outstanding among the apostle means, uh, outstanding among the apostles in the original Greek, what it means is the apostles were over here somewhere, and Andronicus and Junia were over here somewhere, and they, and they just said, we like you guys, come on over and hang out with us, be among us, because you're so cool, so come into the inner circle with us. <laughs> well, nice try, Daniel Wallace and others, to try to read back into this text. But the church fathers like Christophison or Christophison, Christophison, trying to pronounce his name correctly, uh, they said, no, 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 no. This is a married couple. Even in that time, they said, this is a married couple. And this woman was so awesome that she was considered an apostle with her husband. So nice try. Church history and the Greek proves this phrase to not mean they were just let into the inner circle of the apostles because they were good people. No, they were in the inner circle of apostles because they were apostles. And in that place of being an apostle, they were outstanding, praise God. So greet Andrew, Nicus, and Junia, the husband and wife team, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. I mean, they suffered for Christ. They are outstanding among the apostles. And so you can read more about that with Craig Keener and his work on uh, women in the ministry, as well as the, the expositor's commentary uh, takes the, woman, the, the woman's name there to be a woman and outstanding among the apostles to mean they're apostles. And you can look at the article I linked there in uh, church history with Wikipedia and, and the different church fathers that affirm the actual truth of the scripture there. And they were in Christ before I was. And Paul even talks about that, that he was the last to be chosen. Now, I think he means when he says he was the last to be chosen among the 12. And so, you know, the disciples, they picked Matthias in the book of Acts, you know, by casting lots to take Judas' Judas's place. But I think God picked Paul. And so that's what I think he means by that. But even in his peer group, he was probably one of the last because all of these other apostles were being sent out early on. And then he was persecuting the church. So there's a couple of different ways to take that. Now let's get back to uh, learning about some of these others that may not be as popular or we don't know much about. Let's learn how to say their names here. Let's go to this next person here. Ambliatos. Ambliatos. Greet Ambliatos. 
my dear friend in the Lord. That is a, a brother in the Lord. Here's another one that's mentioned. Don't know much about him. Urbanos. Let's try it again. I was talking. Urbanos. Urbanos. So if you're listening with me, try to uh, say some of these names. Urbanos as a co-worker in Christ. And then here is another one that is mentioned. Stachis. Stachis. Greet Stachis. And then another one here. Greet this precious brother. Ampalis. Ampalis. Greet Ampalis, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Wouldn't you like that to be said of you? And greet those who belong to this household. Adlistoblos. Greet those who belong to the household of Adlistoblos. Greet Herodion, my fellow Jew. And that's probably because he came from the house of Herod. Greet those in the household of Narcissus. Let's see. Narcissus. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Trophosa. Let's try that. Greet Tryphena. That's my guess. Tryphena. Tryphena. And then this one right here. Tryphosa. Tryphosa. Let's go back because I was talking here. Tryphena. Tryphena. These women who work hard in the Lord. Notice both men and women being named. Isn't this awesome? Greet my friend Persis. Let's see if I can get that one right. So I don't even get that one right. Who has worked very hard. Another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Notice how Paul goes out of his way to continually name hardworking women. We should accept women in the ministry. Just as the Bible says in Acts that the Holy Spirit will come on your sons and your daughters. Greet Rufus. Now this one should be easy for me, right? Let's make sure I said that one right. Rufus. Rufus. Man, don't even get that one right. Rufus. Chosen in the Lord and his mother who has been a mother to me. There you see the concept of spiritual mothering, spiritual fathering, as Paul mentioned in other places. And then um, I have a, a place in the Bible where Rufus is mentioned in Mark 15, 21. He is the son of Simon Cyrene, who carries the cross of Jesus. And these are just cool things to do with commentaries to go back over some of these people's names so you can see if they're in other places of the Bible. Now he's just going to rattle off some of these brothers right here. Let's go through some of their names. Asyncritos. Greet Asyncritos. Greet this brother. Phlegon. Hermes is my guess for this name. Hermes. Hermes. Still... Batting not very good right now, Jose. Not getting these names right. Patrobas. Patrobas. Hermas. Let's say Hermas. I'm going to say Hermas now that I'm learning other pronunciation. Going Hermas. 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 I got one. And the other brothers and sisters with them. So, you know, he's maybe naming off a life group or a Bible study there. Now he names off a few more. Let's go. Philologos. Philologos, Philologos, Julia. Let's hope I can get Julia right. Yulia. Yulia. Well, that's a little bit more of the Greek accent. Neris, Nerius, Nerius. Let's try that. Nieres. Nieres. And his sister. Isn't that beautiful? Naming off the family. And Olympas. 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 And all the Lord's people who are with them. Amen. So we got a lot of the people there in the church of Rome that Paul was really wanting to encourage that they would walk with Jesus and stay faithful to him. 
Let me just go through some of the encouraging things that he says to them. And may we uh, remember uh, some of these things as well. How about this? Uh, Let's go through them. Let's risk our lives for Jesus like Priscilla and Aquila. Let us give our home to the gospel so that we can make disciples. Let's be a convert to Jesus and, and be the first in our family and be proud to be the first if we ever are in our family or in our nation or in our region. Let's work hard for the Lord as Mary did. Uh, let's be willing to suffer for Jesus as Andronicus and Junia did and be outstanding in the work that we do. Um, let's be people's friends. Uh, this one right here, Empilitas, was a dear friend of Paul. Let's be people's friends in the church. Let's work hard in Christ. Let's be a co-worker and give our best to Christ, like uh, Urbanos. Apelis, let, let us keep our fidelity, our faithfulness to Christ, and stand the test of time like Apelis did. Um, and those in the household of Estebulos, let us be a whole household that is saved. Amen. And uh, let us be in the Lord. Let us remember our place in Christ like the household of Narcissus did. And uh, let us support the women like Trophina and Trophasa who worked hard in the Lord. Let's support the hardworking working women in, in Christ. And Persis, another one who worked hard. So let's always support these women working hard for the Lord. And let's um, believe that all of us are chosen in Christ, that none of us come by accidents like Rufos. And uh, let, let us be mothers and fathers to people in Christ like, like Rufos' mother was a mother to Paul. And uh, let us be with the brothers and sisters, amen, in the Lord. Let us keep the fellowship, and uh, the fellowship here is, is emphasized again. And then now it ends in verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. Now let's talk about this holy kiss for a moment uh, because uh, I don't know if we're going to like it, but this is how they gave the holy kiss in the time of the Bible. And you can look up the link. Uh, Once again, whenever I share a Wikipedia article, I'm doing that only if it agrees with the commentaries because commentaries cost money and most of you don't have the same ones I have. So I try to find articles online that complement what the commentary says. And guess what the NIV cultural background commentary says with Craig Keener concerning the holy kiss. It was done on the lips. (laughs) Yes, it was. And here's a painting from the 16th century showing Peter and Paul kissing on the lips. Now, before you go, that's gross. Before you say that's gross, remember every culture has its own ways of showing affection. And so men with men, and, and, and sometimes men with women as well, it could go both ways, it shows us in church history, they would kiss each other on the lips as family to show their love. Men and men, women with women, men with women, you know, et cetera. And there was nothing perverse. There was nothing sexual. The Bible's very clear that sexual immorality, adultery, lust, all of those things are sin. But kissing another person on the lips, whether it's another man or a woman, you know, of the opposite gender, whatever, wasn't considered perverse. And really, it is touching your lips to somebody else's lips any more perverted than you touching their hand, you know, touching hand to hand. We just put more emphasis here and put more sexual connotation for this part of our skin to touch another person's part of their skin that way. But is it really perverse? No, there's nothing perverted in it. 
unless you take it to what would be more sensual type of kissing, just like sensual type of rubbing, right? But just hand on hand, not a problem, lip on lip, not a problem, right? Um, so uh, do I believe we have to do that would be a question. Well, my stance is, and I use this as an example with the women in ministry debate, is that I believe there's cultural things in the Bible. Now, some people look at the Bible without any cultural restrictions. And so whatever they did, we now have to do. So if women wore head coverings <clears throat> back then, excuse me, women now have to wear head coverings. If uh, back then women couldn't have braided hair, we cannot allow women to have braided hair, so forth and so on. And, uh, you know, these kind of things go on throughout the Bible with these different traditions, you know, even in the New Testament, like holy kissing. So I look at it like this. You can take, you can take all, you can take none, or you can take some. There are those who take all and they're very legalistic. There are those who take some and they're kind of inconsistent. Or you can take none and you can be consistent in calling it culture. I'm a guy who takes none and our church operates on that principle. Why? Because I don't see any place where any of those restrictions, when they're not followed or commands, when they're not followed, they're considered sin. So like, for example, it's not like the Bible says that you're in sin if you have braided hair. It's just saying that you should be modest, and then it gives examples of what modesty is going to look like, I believe, in Paul's culture, which is not to have braided hair, which is not to have costly jewels, etc. But that doesn't mean in our culture braided hair would mean you're impure. And it's the same thing here with the holy kiss. It's, it's, there's nowhere said in the Bible, if you don't do the holy kiss, you're in sin. So when we look through the sin list of the Bible, primarily through Paul in the New Testament, in Galatians and in Ephesians, we see clearly what is sin. And so I don't think violating this is sin. I just think it's a matter of culture. So it's up to you if you want to do it. It's not our culture. You would be weird in our culture to do it. You might catch some dudes off guard if you start kissing guys on the lips, you know, but... You wouldn't be unbiblical, you would just be uncultural. And so a lot of times people say, well, I'd rather have the Bible than the culture. Well, we have to understand the Bible's written in culture, and there's going to be cultural things, okay? Now, once again, if you want to go all in and have a, your women wearing bonnets and men kissing each other on the lips, and you know you can't have braided hair and women have to stay quiet in church and all that and only ask their, their husbands questions at home, things like that, go for it. You can develop a church that resembles the culture of the first century church. You can do that. But I believe that there's exceptions to the rules. I believe that God gives us the ability within our culture to do things in the gray areas, non-sin issues. And so if someone says back to me, well, what are you going to say now about homosexuality where it's being accepted in our culture or uh, polygamy, so forth and so on? I'm going to go right back to that lesson I just preached on Romans 14 and 15, which is if it's a disputable matter, you can make the personal choice over it and your church can too. But if it's sin, it's not a disputable matter. And so as I just shared with you, I do believe that cultural things in the Bible are not sins. That's why they're never listed in the sin list. They're simply cultural things. And that's why I do not take any of them literally into our culture because it wouldn't fit and wouldn't make any sense. Now, once again, if you want to learn from the Bible in that way and take on some of the culture, do so, but treat it as a gray area, as a disputable matter. 
And as I've talked to some Baptists and they go, well, I accept this part, but not that part. Or I talk to another church and they go, I do this, but I don't do that. Okay, just recognize you're being inconsistent. It's okay to be inconsistent because you're pulling things from the culture that makes sense for you and your congregation and so forth. And you find benefit in that. That's, that's great. You just can't make it a law because number one, you're not being consistent. You're being inconsistent. And then number two, it's never put in the place of a law. It's simply there's a part of their culture. So here's how I would say, greet one another with a holy kiss or greet one another with affection how, as you would in your culture and how, how we would, was, would be with high fives and side hugs with men, with women and, you know, things like that. And then he says, all churches of Christ send their greetings. So once again, if you have any questions about that, holy kisses, maybe you want to bring that up into your church. Uh, don't do it in our church, please. Uh, stay away from something like kissing a woman on the lips or another dude on the lips, unless you have uh, their permission. And I would say only do that with the same sex, but I wouldn't even do it at all. So I would just say, don't do it in our church. Okay. Uh, verse 17. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teachings you have learned. And it says right here, I'm going back to my notes, keep away from them for such people are not serving our Lord Christ but their own appetites by smooth and smooth talk and flattery they deceive the minds of naive people and that's complementary also with um, Titus chapter 3 10 and onward <clears throat> excuse me we see here that there's always been divisions there will always be divisions in the church never be on the side of those who are divisive if you are a part of a good church and you see the Bible being taught. Never be divisive. Never take the side of division. And if you're the kind of person that divisive people are still talking to, you are literally naive. The only reason why di uh, di um, divisive people, di divisive, no, no, divisive rather, thank you, Lord, Divi divisive people are talking to you. <clears throat> is because you're naive. The reason why people leave our church and don't want to talk to me is because I'm not naive. If you're still their friend on Facebook and they're still reaching out to you and telling you how much they miss you, but they're not writing me telling, saying how much they miss me and they're not writing me saying, oh, I want to see your children. Well, the reason why they're not is because I'm not naive. And the reason why they're not contacting the elders or the pastoral elders, so forth and so on, is because they're not naive. So if you ever find yourself a part of a church that's going through division or dealing with divisive people, and you're the one that they're still calling and Facebooking, don't take it as a compliment. <laughs> you're, you're not that awesome. They're just using you as their oompa loompa. Because birds of like feathers like to flock together. Those who are in trouble like to get more people to agree with them, to ease their conscience. Stay away from them. If, if they are staying away from your elders, you stay away from them. Let's just put that simply, okay? And so you're not that awesome. You know, when I was first in Bible college introduced to these things, I thought I was awesome, you know, because, uh, you know, the guy who had a problem with the professors would tell me. And I, you know, and I was really spiritual. And so I'm going to help find out what the problem is with Brother Anthony because Brother Anthony was mean. And, and he's going to, you know, this brother's going to tell me how Brother Anthony was mean. And, and, and I need to take his side. Well, then I began to realize over time that only the fool listens to one side, first of all. And only a fool puts himself in a problem that is not his own. 
as the book of Proverbs talks about. And so I realized this is not my monkeys, not my circus. I don't need to hear any of this. I'm not in the Matthew 18 and I'm not hearing the other side. And who am I even to judge? You know, I'm less than you. I'm not even a second year student. I'm only a first year and you're bringing me into your issues. Well, what did I find out over time as I became a leader at the school and I began to work with people like that second year that was messing with me when I was in a first year, I began to find out that messy people cause messes and they love to go to the naive people. You know, that second year student who was trying to get me against the professors when I was new at Bible college, he wasn't telling me what the professors were rebuking him over and all, all of this. And he wasn't telling me that uh, he had been in and all of these things. He wasn't telling me all that. And he wasn't willing for me to be with him when those professors would call him out. And so he was trying to hide what they were saying. You know, he didn't want me to be around them and, 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 and him and to get the full story. And so that's why I love in our church when people cause issues, we say this to them, go get them and come back with them. You come back with them and meet with the elders and see what goes on then. Oh, and look how they squirm. They squirm. <laughs> They don't want that. Oh, they'll make up all kinds of excuses of how not to meet with the elders. They'll, they'll even sometimes be like spiritual and be like, well, we don't want to bring you into it. Well, you already did. Well, we don't want you to have to see the church fight. Well, you already brought it up. Well, we're too busy for that. We're just agreeing to disagree. Oh, come on, somebody. The devil is a liar. The Bible says they're just serving their own appetite and with smooth talk and flattery. Oh, by the way, did I tell you? You're awesome. You know, Metro Praise won't make you a leader. I'll make you a leader. You're awesome. You know, that church down the road won't let you do it, but I'll let you do it. Oh, you're so awesome. And oh, I'm not so bad myself, am I? Smooth talk and flattery. Deceiving, the Bible says, the naive mind, naive people. Don't be somebody's dupe. Don't be the fool that follows the fool. I was just, uh, let me come out of this. I'm getting to preach in here a little bit. I was just watching a show where, you know, one of these experts comes to a restaurant and tries to help them, you know, change things up. And, oh, man, you know, it's, it's typical when the guy comes and he meets with all the staff, he starts showing them the videos and everybody's just a mess, right? And, and then he starts dealing with the bad managers and, you know, and, and, and there's a little bit of like, you know, like, yeah, tell him, tell him. But there's always a point when he starts talking to the owner that people just feel that it crosses the line. This time it was the wife. She was just like, you're being too mean to my husband. Why are you doing that? He loves this company. He loves us. He's doing his best. <laughs> and this man looked at her and goes, you don't know what you're talking about. He doesn't know how to run a restaurant. That's why it's $200,000 in debt. You don't know what's going on because you don't know what it's like to be a restaurateur. You just look at your husband through rose-colored glasses. You got his back, but you don't got any wisdom. <laughs> and so he kind of put the wife in her place. And then at the end of the show, it's, 
Yeah, you were right. We didn't know what we were doing. And I was just being foolish, trying to be loyal to my husband. But I wasn't separating my love for my husband to, to my evaluation of him as a restaurateur. Because, yeah, he was kind of doing a terrible job now that I know what it's like to be a restaurateur from the instructions you've given me from being one all those years as an expert. I see now I let my feelings for him as a husband deceive me. <laughs> and I just think to myself so often, you know, I watch couples defend each other. You know, I was in a counseling session one time and a woman, I, it's not funny, but I mean, it's the folly of the devil. She was being abused by her husband, abused by her husband. It had come out from the son that the son was abused by the, the father. And then we got to talk to the mother and she said, I'm also abused, physically hit the wrong way, mistreat. I mean, there's no right way, but I mean, uh, abuse verbally talked to the wrong way rather and physically abused can't ever touch a woman let me be clear on that and and the child was inappropriately disciplined you know that was abuse and so I go okay okay you want to press charges no no I don't want to do it okay and, and now and now um I would call the police but back then I didn't know that I had to call the police without the mother wanting to call the police so stupid me I'm like well let's get the husband here and let's try to solve the problem but I now know that it was my job to do that as well I didn't know I could bypass the mom now I we do this okay we buy and this was many this was over 10 years ago okay so we'll bypass the parents now we don't even care if you don't want us to call the police so what we're still calling the police anyways uh, we bring the mom in with the man right and I just go right into him well first you know I ask you know is this stuff true and he's like yeah and he's gonna play the sad puppy dog now he's gonna be sad and he hangs his head down oh I'm so ashamed well I'm like look at me sir you do that again we're calling the police and we're going to make sure the police come because we're going to come there and be waiting for them we're going to get this woman out of that house we're going to make sure that they're safe do you understand that you do not have permission to ever lay hands on her again well guess what right there in the meeting the woman feels sorry for her husband and she says stop that don't threaten him now don't do that she ended up leaving the church you know why she left the church? Because we were too hard on her abusive husband. Isn't that sad? You see how people with flattery, you see what the Bible says can happen with flattery and just smooth talk can keep people with naive minds being beat. Now I'll get serious with that. She went home and probably still got beat. And her child, and I wish to God I could take that back and have called the police without waiting for her and her naive mind to decide what she was going to do. And that teenager grew up, and I don't know much about him now, but I know he's not serving God. But let me just tell you something. Don't be anybody's fool, okay? Don't be taken by smooth talk and flattery. Do exactly what the Bible says. I urge you, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, 
but their own appetites. They're selfish in wanting you to follow them and make their insecurities feel better. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Amen to that. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Now notice there twice he's called Lord. Lord Christ and Lord Jesus, both giving him the title of divinity. God the Messiah, God our Savior, Jesus meaning Savior. Now somebody might ask the question right here, well, I thought that this was already done at the cross, that the fulfillment of Genesis chapter 3 was already done, that, that you know, the, the heel of Christ stepped on the serpent and the serpents, you know, struck at the foot, uh, the heel of Jesus. I mean, the serpent's head's already been crushed. Why is uh, Paul saying here that the God of peace will soon do this? Well, notice the context under your feet. Jesus won the battle for salvation, securing it for us. But as human history continues, we must make the decision to live in Christ's victory until he's once and for all thrown into the lake of fire. So his time is short. He's already been defeated by Christ, but it's up to us to crush him again under our feet as we're waiting for his final judgment. That happens in Revelation chapter 20, verses 10 and onward. He then goes on to start talking about some of his co-workers that we've we've met these people before, right? Like Timothy, my, uh, well, rather, excuse me, he doesn't say um, greetings to them. He's going to give their greetings, these co-workers' greetings to the Roman people. So Timothy, he says, my co-worker sends his greetings to you, as does Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my fellow Jews. Now, let's make sure we're saying that guy's name right. I believe it's Sosipater. Let's get it right here. Let's see how to say Sosipater. Sosipatros. So, well, they put tros at there, but it's a Sosipater. Sosipater. My fellow Jews. And uh, remember there, Jason is mentioned in that time that he's persecuted in Acts chapter 19. Oh, excuse me. In Acts chapter 17, 5 and onward. Let's go to that persecution time that Jason was a part of, Acts 17. Acts 17, I believe it's verse 5. There we go. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials. And this is in, uh, this happened where? Passed through Amphilius um, and Apollonia. They came to Thessalonica. Yes, they went from Thessalonica and there and they did that. Okay, but yes, that was in Thessalonica. In Thessalonica. Okay. So it says, greet, uh, rather, it says, Timothy, Lucius, Jason, and Sopater, his fellow Jews, send greeting. Okay, now in verse 22, it says, I, Tertius, and let's make sure we're saying his name right. This is just a good Bible study today. You guys enjoying this? We're all learning how to say these Greek names correctly. Tertios. Tertios, 
who wrote down this letter greet you in the Lord. So now we realize that Paul did not write his own letter, but this brother Tertios did. And now he kind of just interjects and goes, hey guys, I'm writing the letter. What's up? Okay, that's pretty cool. And then we hear about Gaius, and let's make sure we're saying his name right. Gaius, we're going to go to him in the Bible as well. He's a Gaius, Gaius, rather. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings. Now remember, Gaius is in Corinth. That's where Paul is writing this letter. So let's go to Acts 19, 29 and learn about Gaius. Acts 19, 29, because remember, during the time of the book of Acts, he's writing the book of Romans. And so if you look at it chronologically, you can see how it all fits together with the, the epistles. There's only a few epistles that he writes not in the book of Acts. And I believe that's Second um, Timothy for sure, because he has to come visit him there in Rome to bring him some parchments. Um, and I believe that's the last letter he writes. There might be a few others that Paul wrote in Rome. Let me just look up here. Letters Paul wrote in Rome. What letters did Paul write in Rome? Okay. Prison epistles. That we call those the prison epistles. What are the prison epistles? The prison epistles refer to four letters. They include Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Well, we oh, because in 2 Timothy, he was on house arrest. He was able to, he was already out technically. Yeah, so that's why they're not counting it here as, um, as Timothy. Timothy, 2 Timothy was written after he was out of the Roman jail. So hopefully that gave you some little bit of nuggies right there. Okay, now where else was I? What was I doing here? Oh, I'm going to the passage where we learn about Gaius. Okay. Acts 19.29 says, Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people see Gaius and Artarchicus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed them into the theater together. Paul wanted to be, appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Okay, now this happened in Ephesus. Okay, so they must have been traveling with him. But he is now in Corinth writing the letter, staying in Gaius's house. And he says, Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here, here is Corinth, enjoy, sends you his greeting. Then we learn about Aristus, Aristas. Oh, well, let's learn here. Let's help me pronounce it. I know it may not seem that scholarly, right? But I'm doing my best. Erastos, Erastos, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Cortos, let's learn Cortos. Cortos sends you their greetings, okay? So he's staying in Gaius's house. He's, he's uh, well, let's just go back here and kind of summarize this. Timothy's his co-worker. They send greetings with Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater. They're traveling with him. Teratos is writing down the letters. Gaius's house is whose house they're in in Corinth. He's sending greetings in the church that's there. And Aristos is in Corinth, and he's got like a city job. And then their brother Cortos sends greetings. Now we learn about Erostos. Let me make sure I'm pronouncing it again. Erostos. Erostos. Okay. Erostos, we hear about him in Acts 19.22 at the same place we're hearing about, um, I believe, Gaius. So that would make sense that they're kind of together. 
And let's go here to that Acts 19 reference. Okay, let's see here. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Aristos, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little. So that's like one of the guys that's traveling with him. Okay, now we'll see we have a textual variant in verse 24 where uh, modern translations will not have it, but the older ones will. We've talked about why some verses are missing in modern translations. They don't think they they are, are as accurate to the ancient manuscripts. Modern translations try to use ancient manuscripts to base their uh, translations on. And ancient manuscripts are not the majority of manuscripts. The majority of manuscripts are a couple hundred years after uh, the time of the, the first century, but they're the majority. And so we, uh, like myself, who take the majority uh, view of translations being the best, the majority text being the best, say that just because something is older doesn't mean it's better. The one that was translated the most are the ones that the church used, and so we should stick with those manuscripts. And so the King James and, and other manuscripts, um, uh, the King James, which is based off the Textus Receptus, are based off the majority text. So let me just summarize it like this. The majority of ancient translations are not as old uh, as the ones that the more modern translations use. So uh, the majority are from times in the third century and beyond. Okay, it's still considered ancient, but it's not as ancient as the earliest manuscripts. So we should just say earlier or later. And the earlier ones are in smaller number, okay? So that's why you won't see verse 24 in the NIV because it says like, oh, this older manuscript of Romans doesn't have this verse or something. But the majority of them do, even though they're a little bit newer, okay? So here in verse 24, it says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, amen. <clears throat> and so once again, when we look at manuscripts, it's not like we have a thousand piece puzzle with only 900 um, pieces. You would never be able to put it together because you're missing a hundred. Sometimes people think we're missing things. That's not true. The arguments are always over addition. So imagine if you have a thousand piece puzzle, but you have a thousand one hundred pieces, a hundred extra. You could still put together the puzzle, but you would have some extra. That's the way to look at it if you take the more ancient, earlier manuscript evidence. Is there's just more to the Bible because sometimes manuscripts had additions added onto them by the scribes. But I take it as <clears throat> the additions are valuable and they are inspired. So it's not that we have 1,100 pieces to a 1,000 piece puzzle. We actually have 1,000 pieces, uh, 1,100 pieces to a 1,100 piece puzzle. Okay, so it's not a thousand piece puzzle, it's a thousand one hundred piece puzzle. So that's how I explained that. And the scripture there is simply God. Uh, Paul is saying that we have grace through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And now he ends with these last few verses, which are powerful. So let us read them. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ, Amen. 
What a powerful run on verse there. That is amazing to see how Paul strings it all together because that's basically the summary of the entire book. It's all about the gospel. It started with the gospel. It ends with the gospel. Romans 1.16 starts with the gospel and ends with the gospel. So let's go to Romans 1.16 just so you can see. He said this is, a matter of fact, just Romans chapter 1 verse 1. I, a Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to me an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. And then in verse 16 is that famous verse that tells us, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as, as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And here's the way I summarized it with the gospel at the beginning. You know, all of these notes are online. This was the first um, chapter notes, the letters opening, Paul's call to serve the gospel, the heart of the gospel. Uh, oh, excuse me, start again. The opening is, is Romans 1 verses uh, 1 through 17. That's Paul's call to serve the gospel. Then Romans 1 18 through chapter 4 verse 25 is the heart of the gospel, justification by faith. Then we have in Romans 5 through chapter 8 verse 39, the assurance provided by the gospel, the hope of salvation. Then we have the defense of the gospel with the problem of evil. Israel, not evil, forgive me. The defense of the gospel, the problem of Israel and why they're not really in the gospel at that time. That's Romans 9 through 11, verses 36. Then the transforming power of the gospel and Christian conduct, Romans 12 through Romans 15, 13. And then the closing of the letter, those who serve alongside of Paul with the gospel, Romans 15, 14 through Romans 16, 27 there at the end. So does anybody have any questions as I get ready to close it out? This wonderful book that we went through, all 16 chapters, I pray that it was a blessing to you. I hope that you will go back over it either through the podcast or online and just enjoy it, share it with your friends. I did my best, uh, gave you a lot of links along the way to study, to give you further resources. Any questions that ever come up through this, uh, email us at info at mpichurch.org or get a hold of us through the various social media outlets. Uh, let's close in prayer. I don't see any questions. And uh, thank you for joining with me. Father, we thank you for the awesome book of Romans that teaches us that you establish your church upon faith in the gospel and that the gospel is all based on your love and Jesus' sacrifice and the Holy Spirit's regeneration in our hearts. We pray that we will be gospel-centered in our lives, living our lives through the gospel, being like the workers mentioned here in the last chapter, working hard and serving you for the sake of the gospel. And may we always live in that grace and share that grace until we meet you face to face and we see that final judgment of Satan come and, and see him cast into the lake of fire. May we plunder hell and populate heaven and be servants of the gospel, just like Paul. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. Enjoy your day.